to pick up on a question that Justin just brought before us. Are we alone in the universe? Let me show you a picture. Are we alone in the universe? What is this a picture of? Do we have a roaming mic? Don't, don't, don't call out. I want to um, listen to some of you respond. Are we alone in the universe? What is this picture? Who's got a roving mic for us so we can hear a few people um, respond? Anybody want to respond? Um, are we alone in the universe? What, what is this picture? Raise your hand if you'd like to enlighten us. Very important question the sage has posed to us today. <clears throat> You're clueless. Please tell me you're not clueless. Um, have any of you seen this picture before? Raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. Either I'm old or you guys are spending too much time in your calculus homework. Okay. Nobody has a clue. Anybody want to take a stab at, at uh, answering? What is this picture? Somebody, please help me out. It looks like a scene from the TV show Outer Limits. Okay. We're getting close. Okay. It looks like a scene from Outer Limits. Someone else. Hmm. <clears throat> Any teenagers amongst us uh, have a slight clue what this is? Here we go. I know the answer is the, the cheating, if I tell you. <laughs> what did you say, Allie? I know the answer. Is it like cheating, if I tell you? Oh, you, you can tell us. Okay, so it's an alien specimen from the Roswell experiment done by... Uh, the U.S. government. Exactly. What? The, let me tell you the first time I saw this picture um, to get into the answer to the question of are we alone. Um, I first saw this picture in 1970, but I didn't see it like this on the Internet. You know, on the Internet and in a digital format, you can alter any picture. Like you can take this person's body and put this person's head on it. And I'm sure you've seen that manipulated on the Internet. However, the first time I saw this picture, it was not on the Internet. The first time I saw this picture in 1970, it was a Polaroid camera shot. Now, many of you don't even know what a Polaroid camera is, um, but I'm 55 years old, soon to be 56. January 1st, please give chocolate. But um when back in 1970, when I saw this, a Polaroid camera was something that you take a picture and then amazingly the picture would shoot out and then you'd grab it just in time. And then um, in about three minutes later, the picture would miraculously appear. Well, a friend of mine's dad showed me this picture because a friend of his had taken it and it was supposedly of an alien that landed in the desert in Roswell, New Mexico, in 1947. So, 23 years after the picture was taken, my friend shows it to me, and he didn't want anybody else to know, because his dad told him not to tell anybody, and he couldn't wait to show me, hey, Tim, look, look, look at the picture. And I'm like, what is it, dude? And he's like, it's an alien. And I'm like, what does it mean? He's like, it means that we're not alone, and we have been visited. Well, brothers and sisters, we come to the text that we're looking at in John chapter 1 today. It's telling us that we are not alone and we have been visited. But we haven't been visited by, by an alien creature that crashes in a spaceship and then is hidden in Area 51 and nobody gets to see him after that. No, brothers and sisters, we have been visited by somebody who the Apostle John says that he, along with all the other 
disciples saw the word, the one who created the universe through through whom all things that have come into existence have come into existence. By him, this word became flesh. In other words, an alien didn't land in a spaceship in Earth. Instead, the God who created the universe arrives in a manger. Not as a spaceman, but as a human being. And notice what John says. He made his dwelling among us. I mean, it would be amazing enough if we just stopped with the first half of verse 14. The word became flesh. Isn't that amazing enough that God would become a human being and come to earth and maybe he would sit in the White House or something like that? That would be amazing enough. But that's not what it says. It goes beyond that. It doesn't just say that the word became flesh. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine that. Jesus living among the people. And John says he saw something. We have seen his glory. Who's the we? We often read the Bible and we're not reading it, putting ourselves first um, in the mindset and in the time of those who wrote the Bible. But this we is not you. You have not seen this. Okay? So you read this passage and you think the we is you. But the we is not you. The we is someone else. When John says at this point, we have seen his glory, he's saying that he, as an eyewitness, just like my friend's father said that he was an eyewitness of the alien that landed in Roswell and had a picture to prove it. John says, we were eyewitnesses of the Son of God coming to earth and living among us. And that was something that John could say. That was something that the other apostles could say. And when he says that Jesus, the Word of God who became flesh, came and made his dwelling among us, he says something that he saw. He and all the other apostles and disciples saw. He says, we have seen his glory. Now, we still have the roving mic around, don't we? I'd like to ask you guys to define what is glory? It's one of those words we throw around in the church. We throw a lot of words around in the church. You leave the church, you never hear the word said again. But glory is one of these words. And I want to see if you have any slight idea of what it means. What did John mean when he said, we have seen his glory? Anybody want to answer the question, what is God's glory? Raise your hand if you want to share with us what God's glory is. How awesome God is. Okay. God being awesome. That's close. That's very, very close. Someone else? What is the glory of God? I'm going to call on those of you who are going to Gordon Conwell, so get ready. Um, I may be blind, but I know that you are among us, and I will call on you to answer. What is the glory of God? Anyone else? The awesomeness of God? Someone else? Any Gordon Conwell students sitting with ties on wanting to, um, to share with us the answer to the question? You guys don't know. 
The glory of God, according to those people who write these books that people who go to Gordon Conwell have to read because seminary students have to read these books by people that are called theologians, um, whatever that is. The theologians write books about the glory of God and they say that the glory of God is the sum total of all of his attributes and characteristics. In other words, you take everything that's awesome and unique about God and you put it all together at the same time and you get glory. And that's what John says he saw, he and the other, and the other apostles saw, when they saw Jesus. We have seen his glory. And when they saw his glory, you know what they said? They said, this is the one and only Son of God. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And that's not all they said. You know what else they saw when they saw Jesus? They not only saw his glory, they not only saw that he was human, that they could touch him. They saw that he was full of grace and truth. And John says he saw that. You know, brothers and sisters, I'm really concerned in our church and in our Christian experience that you see what it is that John saw about Jesus. Because if we're not seeing that, we're missing the whole picture. I preached on the grace of God earlier this uh, this fall in the CM and I, I preached in Mandarin. And when I was done with my message, I got a few high fives from pe- people. They don't give a lot of high fives in, in the in the um, CM, but occasionally. So I got a few high fives by some 80 year old women on the way out. It was awesome. Um, it was extremely awesome. And then a few weeks later, one of the members of CM found me and cornered me and said, I need to tell you something. You know, you're preaching on the grace of God from Philippians 1 about how for unto us it has been given graciously as a gift, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. And you spoke a lot about how Christianity and faith comes from the grace of God. He's like, you know, I I never really got that until then. And he said, so I went home and I've spent a few weeks looking through the Bible and I realized something. I realized that it's all about grace. And I said, yes. It's all about grace. And he had just begun to see what grace really is. Because, brothers and sisters, what grace really is can be reduced to two words. Number one, forgiveness. That the God who made us, who knows how bad we are, even though he made us, because we've all like sheep gone astray and done our own thing, that in spite of how bad we are, he loves us enough to forgive us. Do you know that today, brothers and sisters? Do you know the grace of God? You know, people in the world are not going to show you grace. They're going to show you the law. They're going to show you retribution. You do this, I'll do that. Um, You bad to me, I'll be bad to you. You know, that's the way people are in the world. But in the kingdom of God, it's not like that. You be bad to God and God says, I love you and I forgive you and I welcome you back. You see, brothers and sisters, if that's your understanding of grace and it stops there, you're missing it because it's not just forgiveness. It's the power to change. It's the fact that we're no longer under sin. It's the fact that we walk in newness of life. And that has to do with the grace of God. So John said, and John is the one who tells us all these. John is the one who tells us all these amazing stories about the grace of God seen through Jesus Christ. Jesus is all the time encountering sinful people. He, he encountered this one woman at the well and she comes to him and Jesus says, go and call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus is right. Jesus says, you're right. You've, but you've had five husbands and the one that you're with right now isn't really your husband. And the lady goes, wow, 
I perceive that you're a prophet. And she went through husbands like some of you kids go through Pokemon cards. You know, one day we have this one. Next day we have a Pikachu. You know, and that's the way she was with her husbands. And so what what happens is, is Jesus tells her the most embarrassing fact that could possibly be said about her life. And rather than run away from him, she runs towards him. And then she tells everybody about this man who she perceived to be a prophet. Don't you see, brothers and sisters, Jesus knows all about you, just like he knew about the woman at the well. And yet he loves you. He forgives you. And not only does he forgive you when you come to him, he says, go and sin no more. And so the gospel of John is full of these amazing stories telling us of the grace of God and the fact that Jesus himself is truth. Everybody else in your life, no matter how good they are, no matter how dependable they are, they are not perfect in truth. And yet Jesus, John says, is that God. But I want you to see one other thing. Um, One thing that really strikes me from this text. Remember how I said the first we in verse 14 is not you, but yet it's something you need to learn to see it um, as you read the Bible, just like uh, John tells us about it, that that John and the other disciples were the ones who were the we that saw that Jesus. But then he says something else. And here, this relates to you. He speaks of you if you're a believer. He actually imagined you when he wrote one of the later verses. In verse 16, look at verse 16. When he's talking about Jesus and what people see when they look at him and want to know who God is and what he's like, he says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace, grace upon grace, grace from first to last, grace in place of grace already given. You know what this reminds me of when he talks about grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. It reminds me of when I was a kid, uh, we used to always get a stocking and I used to think it came from Santa Claus until I was like 10 years old and I found out that there wasn't a Santa Claus, and I told everybody that my parents had lied to me, and I was very upset, and I don't think I've even gotten over it till today, but <laughs> Santa Claus was supposed to be the person who put presents in our house on Christmas morning, and on Christmas Eve, uh, filled our stockings, and I'll never forget what would always happen, happen with our stockings, because we had these huge stockings, and I'd pull stuff out, chocolate, don't forget, chocolate, that was the first thing that, that I would pull out, and then I'd pull out the second thing out of my stocking each year and it was usually socks. I didn't like socks then, but I like socks now. When you get get older, you start liking socks. I don't know why. Uh, But first chocolate, then socks, then like a toy, something small, like a Hot Wheels car that goes really fast that I really liked. And and I keep on pulling out of the stocket present after present after present. And then I pull out the last present. I was like pretty happy. You know, I had about five presents usually that my parents my parents, because it wasn't really Santa Claus, that my parents put inside um, the, the stocking. And then I'd always, year after year after year, look at my parents and they'd get this big smile on their face and they said, son, you missed something. There's something more. I'm like, no, I stuck my hand. I'm like, no, no, no. Stick your hand all the way into the toe. Well, my arm wasn't long enough to go in the stocking. So sometimes I missed stuff. So I had to like really stick my hand in and then pull out something and it'd usually be something like a $20 bill or a $50 bill or something. And just when I thought it couldn't get any better, it got better. Well, brothers and sisters, that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about the stocking that your parents put up and claim Santa Claus is giving you these presents. What it's about 
is a God who loves you so much that he says, you know what? I forgave you yesterday. I'm going to forgive you today. I helped you yesterday. I'm going to help you today. And I'm going to to do this for the rest of your life. Throw grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to your life. And you know what John says in this passage? He says, we have all received this. Now, you're going to stop and think, well, that's not my Christian experience. You know, my Christian experience is hearing somebody say, oh, come on, dude, you can do better than that. Isn't that what your Christian experience is? A lot of you, you've told me privately, publicly, that that's your understanding of what Christianity is. You know, suck it up, dude, and do better. No, that's not what it is. Here, what we find, it's about the grace of God. And he says, we've all received it. We've all received it. That doesn't mean you've experienced it yet to its fullest, but it means that it's yours. It's your birthright. It's your Christmas present. It's what the message of Christmas is all about. God loves you. He forgives you. He gives you his grace and his power to change and to be new, not to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and try and be good in order to have God accept you, but to realize that he loves you just the way you are and he will make you into the person he wants you to be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace, for the power that there is in the gospel for us to live new lives and for the gift that we celebrate at Christmas. Thank you that we don't have to be clueless about who God is, but we can know who you are because we've seen your only begotten son. And I pray, Lord, that as the days go on in our church, we would grow in grace upon grace upon grace. And so we pray in the name that you've given us to pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.